give you just uh, some announcements this morning. Uh, first is that, uh, in case you're not aware already, but the um, city, actually, I, I think you can, I think everybody, everybody pretty much knows because I don't see anybody wearing one, but uh, city of Portsmouth has rescinded its mask mandate, so masks are no longer required. Uh, so, uh, which means for us that you do not have to come on Sunday mornings uh, with a mask on. You can remain with your mask off during the entire service, where you're, whether you're walking about or seated or sitting. Um, if you want to wear a mask, please feel free to, 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 to wear one. Uh, we, do have, we will still have masks and uh, a hand sanitizer available uh, as well for, for people to use. Um, and uh, also, uh, today, I mean, we will, we will have, as you can see, have um, our social distancing while being seated. But uh, beginning next uh, service, we will no longer have that requirement. Uh, so basically what will happen is that you'll, you'll come in and you can basically uh, uh, seat yourself wherever you like. However, we will still have a particular section uh, for those who want to maintain uh, that social distance while being seated. And I may rub some people uh, the wrong way, but that section uh, most likely will be uh, this particular section. Um, uh, but uh, so it will mainly be uh, for those uh, sitting in the, in the back. Uh, I, I sit in the front. Uh, it's not saying that I, I feel uncomfortable sitting next to anybody, uh, but uh, it's just easier practically for me to just get up from there and just come up here. Uh, but if you want to sit next to me, you are more than welcome to sit next to me. Um, but uh, anyways... Uh, so those are the changes that we are making just based on the, the updates that, uh, that the city of Portsmouth has made. And then uh, the only other announcement that I have is that this is just to mark your calendars, but uh, for next month, July 11th, which is a Sunday, uh, we will have our, our, our church picnic. Uh, we weren't able to do it last year because of COVID, but we, are, uh, we do have reservations for a particular park in Maine. Uh, we'll send out details and and. and, uh, and directions on how to get there as we get closer, but we do plan on having on that, just uh, grilling some burgers and dogs and other food and having desserts and just enjoying each other's uh, company and fellowship. So just mark your calendars for that. But again, it's July 11th after that service. So so the announcements that I have, I'm going to turn it over to uh, the other one as he leads us in a time of worship this morning. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand and let's, uh, let's begin uh, our worship with our call to worship, right? And this, this call to worship this morning is out of Psalm 16, verses 7 through 8. And let's be encouraged by this word. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also uh, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Amen. Powerful word. Let's trust in the Lord in that. together church say savior i come savior i come quiet my soul and sing to him I count it all as lost. Lead. 
and lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you.
entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah sealed and all alone. Let's sing. And oh, praise the name
you this morning. We sing praises to you, Father, for you are worthy. God, I pray that you may continue to work uh, in our hearts, Lord, in our minds, through your spirit, through your word now, Lord. Um, as we sit under your word, uh, may we be edified, Lord, for your glory. God, we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. For our time of prayer this morning, wanted to pray for uh, for a, a family and a uh, and one individual. Uh, so that one individual is uh, uh, Laurel Pigman, uh, who graduated from uh, high school uh, this week, uh, which is is an incredible accomplishment if you remember your uh, high school days. Um, and so, want to pray for her, and she says she'll be going to uh, Cedarville University uh, later in the summer. Uh, to pursue a degree in, in biology, so uh, we want to pray for her and just join our hearts and just praying for the Lord's direction and guidance. Um, uh, she normally works up in the balcony and uh, is working with the, the projector slides, and so um, so uh, we'll pray for her. And in addition to her, we will pray also for uh, David and Marissa Armand and their family. And so, if, if they would, if you would, guys would come up. Uh, so uh, David and uh, Marissa have been uh, at the church for, oh gosh, uh, over two years, maybe close to three years. <laughs> um, and uh, David actually served as uh, one of our deacons uh, for some time. And then uh, Marissa also, uh, in addition to, uh, she saw her up, up here and singing for us on Sunday mornings and serving that way, but she's also served as our admin for some time. And both actually served during the time of, of COVID. One kind of transitioned into the time of COVID and uh, and. Uh, I think David was kind of uh, came in well into COVID, so both kind of came in and to serve in these particular ways at a difficult time uh, uh, in, in our church as the rest of the world experienced. And so I'm thankful for them and their service to our church. Um, and uh, David is in, in the Navy, and this is their last Sunday with us, and they will be transitioning uh, to Singapore uh, for their uh, next uh, duty station. So kind of a, kind of a big, uh, big transition 
And so just wanted to pray for them as they just kind of see them off and just praying that the Lord will direct their steps and guide their paths. And uh, they have with them uh, their, their two uh, kids, who are Sophia and uh, Asher. And so uh, if you would, um, I'm going to lead us off and uh, I'll pray for them. And then uh, Jay Smith, who's our other elder, will pray for, for Laurel. Um, and uh, that'll conclude our time of prayer this morning. So if you would, um, just join your hearts and minds uh, with us as we, as we pray for them this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning and with just a, a deep love uh, and uh, affection for, for the Armands, we thank you, Lord, for sending them our way, for the ways that they have been an encouragement to us as a church and the ways that they have served. Thank you, Lord, for their love uh, for Jesus and their desire to honor him and glorify him with their lives. Father, we pray for this next season of life. God, we pray that you would go before them, that you would prosper the way before them, that you would direct their path, that you would be a light unto their feet. Unto their feet. Father, we pray that with any anxiety that there is now that comes with just uh, any transition, but the transition that they are going to experience, Lord, that you would replace that anxiety with a peace that can only come from you, a peace that will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, that they may continually lift up their next season and all the details that are involved with that transition, that they would lift them up to you, bring them before you, and trusting them into the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing and the one who is sovereign over all things, including their lives, that they may rest assured that you are in control, that their lives are in your hands. And so we, we entrust them to you, Lord, and we ask that you would help them as they transition, as you, that you would help their kids to transition, that they would make new friends that you would help them to find a, a good and solid church that they would be built up, that they may be encouraged, that they may be blessed by, and that they also may be a blessing to. We pray, Father, that you would uh, be uh, with David and help him in his, his, his different uh, assignments and transitioning, that you would give him just the mind, the ability, the capacity, and everything that he does, that he needs in order to perform his responsibilities well, that you may help him and guide him as he leads his family in this way. We pray for their kids, that they would adjust well. We pray that they would continually receive the gospel through their parents, through a good, solid church. And we do for Marissa as she takes care of their, each bridge her, strengthen her, help her, in, both of them, Lord, in these different ways. Bless them in the Lord. And so we entrust them to you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Lord, we pause right now to thank you for the ministry that Laurel has exhibited here at Seacoast Community Church. But now there's a major milestone in her life, and she's moving from the comfort of home to the comfort of a campus far away. And so we pray not only for her journey from here to there, we also pray for mom and dad and Grammy as they stay behind and obviously we'll pray continually for Laurel's uh, education, both in books as well as discernment and wisdom that comes sometimes outside of the books. 
And so, Lord, precede Laurel as she transitions from here to there, that she will continue to stay immersed in the word, that she'll continue to stay connected to folks of like mind, that the Holy Spirit will guide and influence her during her entire time. So, Lord, as we acknowledge the reality that she's entering another phase in her life that has a certain degree of um, uh, unknownness, uh, that there will be along the way uh, not only the pursuit of education, but the pursuit of knowledge. And so, Lord, we pray for Laurel as she makes this journey, and we pray for mom and dad as they, too, uh, have been instrumental in and raising her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we pray with great power and great conviction and great unity of spirit that Laurel will continue to excel in all aspects of her life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. would turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians 3.17, and we'll read down to verse, uh, or to chapter 4, verse 1. So, here coming to the, uh, the end of Philippians, and we'll spend some time in the summer going through uh, some of the Psalms. Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you may help us to continue to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would look to those who have gone before us, and that we would also look to those around us. It's a means of encouragement for our own personal lives to continue to stand firm. That you would help us to those ends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is your life worthy of imitation? If you had someone following you for 24 hours, you know, what would they learn about your life? What would they take from your life? Just by watching you, just by hearing you? Some of you already have that, right? You have children who watch everything you do, 
and copy everything, almost everything that you say, the good and the bad. Alina has learned to, to suck her teeth, and she says that she got that from me. I didn't even realize that I sucked my teeth. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, earlier in chapter 2, he pointed us to two individuals whose life are, is worthy of imitation, and that was Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, I don't know if these individuals, these two brothers, would consider them, their lives worthy of imitation. And the thing about that question is that when we think about that question is that it immediately it forces us to think about ourselves in a way that we may not want to think about ourselves. Right? Even as I ask you the question, you might think, no, my life is not worthy of imitation because you immediately think about the bad. You think about the tendencies. You think about the habits that you wish were changed. You might think about your sins. It forces us to think about those things. Uh, these two individuals in chapter 2, Timothy and Epaphroditus, right, they've given us this kind of an examples to follow. And certainly they're not perfect examples, so we know that because, well, they're just like us. They're believers, they're followers of Jesus Christ who still have lingering sin, who still have temptations, who still have trials. And, right, you and I don't always do the right thing. Now, when this letter was first penned, right, the church was still very early in its, in its inception. It was, the gospel was still pretty relatively new, and so Christians needed to have an example to follow. What does it look like to live as a Christian in a world that is hostile to the gospel? What does it look like to live as a Christian when being a Christian is very new? Now, over 2,000 years later, with us standing here today, right, our conscience is very different, but it doesn't mean that we do not need models or examples to follow, especially as we continue to live in a world that is hostile to the gospel or live in a world that lives very differently than gospel living. So as we come to this passage, we can summarize the passage into three main exhortations. The first, that we must keep our eyes on the godly. Second, that we must keep a heavenly mindset. And lastly, to stand firm. So, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul here is pointing to himself as an example of somebody who is worthy of imitation. I think he's also pointing to Timothy and Epaphroditus. There might have been other nameless individuals, but most likely there's a reference to these three individuals. Now what is it about their life that makes their life worthy of imitation? What example do they leave before us? What we see in their lives even just in the little that we know about Timothy and Epaphroditus, is that they, their lives showed a pattern of righteousness. Now, if, as we look, as we look to imitate the lives of those who show a pattern of righteousness, one thing is absolutely critical, and that is regeneration. Right, that they have experienced uh, the second birth, that they were born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're not looking to imitate or follow the example of just anybody. We're not looking to imitate the life of somebody who is generally a good person, somebody who is a virtuous person, somebody who is a pious person. 
although that's well and good. But no, as Christians, we look to follow the example of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, whose lives are centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who believe in, the, in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That is absolutely necessary because the lifestyle of one shows that their citizenship is in heaven, while the other, who might be a generally good person or pious person, they'll live as one whose citizenship is in heaven. Very, very different. One is not of this world, but is called to live in the world, and the other is in the world, and because they are a part of the world. But as Christians, we are no longer a part of the world. And so what are some tangible examples of this righteous living that we see just in the letter of, of Paul to the Philippians. Some of the examples that we see that is worthy of imitation is a willingness to, re- to renounce all that one has in order to follow Jesus Christ. Whether Christ is the greatest tre- uh, treasure, the prize of the Christian life. There's a willingness to give up any pursuits of what the world understands as public recognition, honor, prestige. A willingness even to suffer with Christ and suffer for Christ. There's the willingness to make sacrifices and even sacrifice your own self in order to serve others just as Christ served us even to the point of death, not that we're called to go to a point of death. But we put our lives on the line in order to serve others. A display of humility, right, as we see in Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 6 and following, when Jesus shows an example of humility coming down from heaven to earth, living as a human to die on the cross for our sins. Another example is to give yourself to gospel work, ministering to the saints. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. What is the example that Christ leaves before us? That Christ suffered on account of righteousness. That is, when faced with the threats of persecution, when faced with the threat of even of his own life, Jesus did not compromise on righteousness. And that is the example that is set before us. John 13, 15, Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is given in the context of the foot washing when Jesus gets on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. What's most important to him is not that we, that we follow the example of foot washing, but that we follow the example of his heart. And a heart that showed humility. A heart of service. 2 Timothy 1, 13 tells us, Follow the pattern of of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Right, just like a child not only mimics or copies the actions of her parents, but it's also the words as well. So we also are to follow the example of sound living, but also the pattern of sound words. Anybody who is in the Bible on a regular basis, who gives themselves to the word of God, who gives themselves to the listening of sermons, who gives themselves to hearing the word of God coming from the lips of other Christians, eventually, over time, develops that same language as well. Uh, 
And so we follow the example of those who live out their heavenly citizenship, citizenship in word and in deed. We keep our eyes on them. And it's not with kind of like a, a magnifying class to, in order to, to critique or to analyze someone's life, everything that they do, but we keep on our eyes on those who are models of, of godly examples to see the good that is in their life, to see the things in their life that is worthy of imitation, that we want to imitate in our own lives as well. Right? Because nobody is perfect, right? Nobody is sinless. Even the Apostle Paul, even though he says, follow me or imitate me, it doesn't in any way say that he's perfect. I'm sure that there are things in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul that we not, would not want to imitate. But we look to the lives of godly examples and see the good and then see the fruit in them as things that we want to copy and imitate in our own lives as well. Now in verse 18, so we're told to keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Verse 18 gives us the reason why. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So there's a sense of anguish as Paul writes these words. And it could be either because the people he's describing are individuals who pose a significant threat to the church. So he says these words in anguish, or it could be, most likely, I think, he's referring to those who were once Christians, or maybe even continue to proclaim themselves as Christians, but their lifestyles show something completely different. Even in that sense, they still can pose a significant threat to the church. And he says, keep your eyes on those whose lives are worthy of imitating because there are many individuals now who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That is, that they show a different example, a different kind of pattern, not a pattern of righteousness, but a pattern of unrighteousness. They're leaving a pattern that others might follow, and it is their intention that others follow as well. And the reason why we want to follow godly examples is because they will always lead us to the right destination. The enemies of the cross, on the other hand, it tells us that their end is destruction. In the Christian classic, Pilgrim's Progress, right, Christian and hopeful are on their way to the celestial city, Right, and, their, and their journey to get there is sometimes strenuous, sometimes it is difficult. Now, they both come to a particular path that seems, looks like it's a really easy path, a really nice path. Hopeful is a little cautious. He, he expresses a, a kind of a soft warning, but they both decide to go in this particular direction, and everything seems well and good. They come upon another fellow who's also on his way to the celestial city. And he says, yeah, I'm on my way there. Follow me. And so they all go together, they follow this individual, and soon the journey gets very perilous. They're filled with the darkness, a darkness with a degree that they almost cannot see what's in front of them. And the individual who's supposed to be leading them ends up walking over, I think it's a cliff, and ends up plummeting to his own destruction. The individual's name was Vain Confidence. Right, such is the pattern of living that the word of God is warning us about. 
individuals who express a vain confidence in their particular way or course, but its end leads to a destruction. Now, what kind of example are these enemies of the, scro- of the cross displaying? So it says that their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. In other words, they take pride in and even boast about these things that they should be ashamed of. Things that are disgraceful, according to the scriptures, right? That the word disgrace or shameful is defined very differently today. But according to the scriptures, it's a very shameful and disgraceful kind of living. And they do such disgraceful and shameful acts freely, without remorse, without regrets. They give themselves over to these things. And they even boast about them to other people. And what exactly are they doing? Well, again, it says that their God is their belly. And I don't think that's intended to be literal, but more figurative. Not referring to physical hunger, but referring to appetites, the cravings of the flesh. These are professing, these are perhaps professing Christians who are more earthly, carnal, fleshly, instead of spiritual. It's not a concern so much about their theology, but a concern about their ethics. They might say that they believe in the gospel. They might be able to articulate the gospel in a way that makes sense, that is in accord with the gospel itself, but their lifestyle shows something completely different. Something is wrong with their ethics. They use the gospel as a license for sin. Right? Romans tells us, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. For how can we who died to sin still live in it? These individuals in the passage would say, yes, we should continue in sin so that grace may abound. Or we should continue in sin because grace abounds. There's only more grace. Grace is greater than all our sins. That is absolutely true. But there is a misusing and abusing of the grace of God as a license for sin. Right? You might know individuals like that, maybe family members perhaps, close friends who might profess gospel in the, uh, profess in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but their lives show that they don't actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They show that they are not actually citizens of heaven, but are citizens of the earth. And we are warned about looking to the examples of those individuals because they can be pretty enticing to see their freedom, to see the things that they can do and do, right? But we should not be enticed by their lifestyle. They have an attachment to the world. The great theme of their lives is Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The most loving thing that we can do in those relationships is to continue to share the gospel and lovingly and gently call them to repentance. So we have to keep our eyes on the godly. 
and we also have to keep a heavenly mindset. Keeping our eyes fixed on the godly as examples to follow, they not only teach us how to live as citizens of heaven, but they also remind us that our citizenship is in heaven. They remind us that although we live in the world, we're not a part of the world. They remind us that there is a great hope that is coming for us. Because you and I both know that living as Christians requires a great, great, great deal of patience. As we wait for the Lord, as we struggle with sin, as we face various trials, and as we continue to wait, sometimes it feels like the world and its temptations is kind of taking a chisel and just slowly and repeatedly just kind of chipping away at us bit by bit by bit. And it tries us, it tempts us. As Christians, we bear the image of Jesus Christ. But sometimes it feels like the world is trying very hard to deface that image. And so we get impatient, we get angry, we get frustrated, we get upset. But the word reminds us to keep our eyes on godly examples. So that we may follow their example of patience and peace during times of trials. Or because we don't wait for nothing. But we have an assured hope that Jesus Christ will one day return. And so we wait patiently. The gospel reminds us that Christ has not left us as orphans. If we believe in Jesus, the Son of God who came to the world, lived as a perfect human being, committed no sin, died on the cross, rose from the dead. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in that gospel, that gospel also assures you that you are not alone, that Christ will one day return, and he will unite you to himself. And so we have to keep our minds fixed on the Lord. The thing that we do when we are fixing our eyes on godly examples is essentially we are fixing our eyes on Christ. Because anybody who follows a pattern of righteous living because of the gospel of Christ are doing so because Christ is living in them. Essentially what we're seeing is Christ lived out in that person. And fixing our eyes on Jesus reminds us that Jesus is coming. It helps us to maintain that heavenly mindset that this world, that our trials, that our temptations, that all these things that we struggle through is only temporary. We keep our eyes focused long enough on Christ. We will see what we desire to see. Right? Moses desired to see the glory of God and only saw a glimpse of it. James, Peter, and John saw the transfiguration of Jesus, saw him in his glory. But you and I will one day see something much more magnificent than, the, than what they beheld. First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You realize that you love and believe in a Savior that you have not seen with your physical eyes. You've never shaken his hand. You've never embraced him. And yet you love him. And you believe in him, and that is faith. There's a promise there in 1 Peter 1, that if you continue to believe and love the Savior that you have not seen, that one day you will see, and he will 
complete the salvation that he has started in your life. There's an old hymn that says, With joy we wait our king's returning from his heavenly mansions fair, and with 10,000 saints appearing we shall meet him in the air. Oh, may we never weary watching, never lay our armor down until he come and with rejoicing give to each the promised crown. O wondrous day, O glorious morning, when the Son of Man shall come, may we with lamps all trimmed and burning gladly welcome his return. Rejoice, rejoice, our King is coming, and the time will not be long until we hail the radiant dawning and lift up the glad new song. Amen. And what will be our cause of joy is not only seeing the King return, but it is also that the king will come with a transformation. If we focus on Christ, the scriptures promises us that we will become what we behold. 1 John 3 tells us, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will become like the Lord. The Christian life is not only a life that requires great patience, but requires self-control, requires a great deal of discipline, requires a great deal of resistance. And the scriptures promises us that resistance will one day give way to rest and relief. Even though we are no longer enslaved to sin, right, sin still tempts us. It annoys us. It bothers us. It's like that annoying little sibling who keeps poking at their older sibling. You know what that's like. Or maybe you were that younger sibling. Sin is absolutely annoying, isn't it? Pestering us, bothering us. But the promise of the gospel tells us that when we behold the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be changed, that we will be transformed, that sin will no longer bother us. Not only will we not be able to sin, but we will not even want to sin. This is all by the power of God. Ephesians 1.19 speaks to that incredible power says, Ephesians 1.19, what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That is the power of God. The power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in your life right now. And there's the same power that will bring about a glorious transformation when you behold the Lord Jesus face to face. And there's some close parallels in our passage to Philippians 2, 6 to 11. that speaks about the humility of Jesus Christ that is coming to the world. Right, the heavenly, the glorious, the majestic, the one who is full 
of honor and prestige comes down into the world and takes on a lowly body, a lowly body like we have, yet without sin. And we, as those who bear a lowly body, will be transformed into a glorious body. The glorious Jesus Christ, who has authority over all things, who is sovereign over all things, comes into the world and subjects himself to human authority, subjects himself to a human body, even to a shameful death. And we, giving up what the world considers personal ambitions and glory and prestige and honor to instead subject ourselves and live as servants of Christ, serve one another, will one day give way to an honor that we will receive at the return of Christ. Where Jesus Christ submitted himself and then was exalted. So in the same way, we submit ourselves with a hope that we also will be exalted. Of course, not in the same degree, because Jesus is Jesus. He's the Son of God. But exalted and honored, we will be nonetheless. And so we keep our eyes fixed on the godly. And we maintain a heavenly mindset, remembering, focusing on the hope that is coming to us. And in this way, lastly, we stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand firm as we look to the examples of others. We see the example of the Apostle Paul. He says, imitate me. Later, or in a different letter, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. The example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And what kind of examples do they leave for us? Timothy, for example, shows a pattern of looking to the interests of others, counting others more significant than himself, devoting himself to gospel work. Epaphroditus, right, who is a fellow brother, fellow soldier, fellow worker, messenger, and minister, went out of his way to deliver this package to meet the needs of the Apostle Paul and even came to a point of sickness to where he almost died. And the point is not to follow his specific example, but to follow or to imitate his heart, the willingness to sacrifice oneself in order to meet the needs of others. So these are some examples that we are looked to follow, examples that we are looking to imitate. Now this idea of imitation and following and patterns is kind of a theme in the New Testament, whether you, I don't know if you realize that or not, and I don't know if you've ever considered the examples, the many upon many examples that we read just in Hebrews chapter 11 alone. Hebrews 11 is an incredible, incredible chapter. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that particular chapter. Now, I know that it's, it is long, but I think it is worth reading. And just paying attention to the examples that these individuals leave before us. Hebrews 11 Pick it up in verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, 
Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and he became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even she, even she was put, even though she was past the age, since she considered him, that is God, faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and from and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand in the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. There's an example. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict, that edict which commanded the Hebrew midwives to slay the, the lives of any Hebrew male that came out of the womb. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's an example for us. He considered the people, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to their reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and, the sprinkled, and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, 
Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who made the strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That is the example left for us. Those are the examples left for us. And it's not to say that they were not sinless individuals. Oh, they had their sins, right? David committed adultery and killed the, the woman's wife or husband. Samson had his issues. Abraham lied multiple times and gave his wife up and to spare his own life. I mean, these individuals had a lot of issues but they're still commended to us because they were individuals of faith who continued to look to, look to the reward, who continued to look to the promises of God, set their, 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 their sights, their minds on this heavenly city that does not belong to this world. Even though in their lifetime they did not receive it, they set their hopes in it. And so we look to the examples of these individuals. We look to the pattern set before us. Not only to the example of those who came before us, but we look to the example also of one another as well. The thing about that question is of Israelites worthy of imitation, where we tend to think of the negative things about us and say, no, our lives are not worth the, of imitation. But we have a tendency to think less of ourselves. But when we do that, I think it is a disgrace to the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I don't believe, if I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I do, then I do not believe for a second that there isn't any good in you that is worth imitating. Because the good that is in you is in you because of the transformative gospel that has become central to your life. Some of you might be more disciplined than others. Some of you have a self-control that I wish I had. Some of you are much more thoughtful than others. Some of you are very intentional. Some of you are very sympathetic. 
Some of you have fruits of the Spirit in, in a greater degree than others do. Some of you have different gifts than others. And we look at each other's lives, not, as though, not to be envious, but to be thankful to the Lord, but to also see those things, commend you for those things, and seek to imitate those things. We look at the good at one another because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see, I see, and we look, and we see, I see this in you. And man, I want to be more like this. I am praying for this. And when we look to each other, we look in each other's lives in that way. As I said before, we're essentially not seeing you, we're seeing Christ. Seeing Christ in the person. Because Christ is the one who makes those changes in the person. So essentially we are setting our eyes upon Jesus Christ and we look to one another in that particular way. And so we, there are things that we have in our lives that are worthy of imitation. And we should be transparent right, and invite others to look into our lives and see those things and not be ashamed of them because it is the gospel that has made that work in you. And so we praise the Lord for that. We keep our eyes on those things. We continue to look to examples of one another and of others in order to help us to stand firm in the gospel. And we continue to have a heavenly mindset as we continue to strive together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then before we conclude with one last song, I want to take some time together to take communion. So if you uh, didn't get one already, uh, there is a small packet in the back on a table that has the cup and wafer. We take the, this communion together, I mean, because the Lord commands us to. But we take it today with an eye to Jesus Christ, who is these, this pattern of righteousness. We see in his life, we see in his death, what it took for him to purchase our redemption. And we continue to look at his life as one that is worthy of imitation, it's what we strive for. It's what we long for. What we seek to be imitators of Jesus Christ because we desire to be like Christ. And Christ died on the cross for our sins to give us redemption, to give us forgiveness, to give us eternal life, to give us his heavenly citizenship, to give us his glorious body that we wait for, but also so that we may know what it is to live as a citizen of heaven, to, what it, to know what it means to live as one who is no longer bound by sin or by the world. So we look to the example of Jesus Christ. And so we take the bread, which represents, right, doesn't actually become the body of Christ, but it represents the body of Christ, that, that body that was bruised and beaten for the transgressions of his people. The cup represents the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which was, set, which was shed for the remission of our sins. So we look to this meal. We look to the past, what Christ has done for us, and we also look to the future. 
to this glorious hope that awaits us. And included in that hope is a great banquet where we will be seated and take an incredible meal with the Lord Jesus himself. And so we take this meal together as a household of God. This meal is for anyone who has professed faith in Jesus Christ, whose life is characterized by a pattern of righteousness, not sinless, right, not perfect, but shows a pattern of righteousness, a pattern of repentance. This meal is for someone, anyone who has received baptism. And so whether you are a member of Seacoast Community Church or not, you are still invited to partake in this, com- this family meal as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to profess faith in Jesus Christ, then we just ask that you not take this meal with us, not in a judgmental or critical manner, but only because the scriptures warn us in 1 Corinthians that anyone who takes this meal in an unworthy manner that is apart from faith drinks judgment upon themselves. But as we take this meal, I would ask, I would plead with you to consider the gospel. Consider turning your life to Jesus Christ, following him, believing in Jesus as the son of God and trusting your life to him, confessing your sins to the Lord. You can do so here today. If you have any questions about that, what that looks like, what does it mean to follow Christ, please come and talk to me after the service. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let this be a reminder that Christ has paid for every single one of your sins. No matter what sins you did yesterday or even this morning or what you will do later today, Christ has paid the penalty for those sins. And you can trust in his forgiveness. You can take this meal confidently and boldly as one who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what we will do is we'll take the bread together and then we'll take the cup and I'll conclude with a prayer and then we'll conclude with one more song. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the incredible sacrifice, for making that sacrifice on our behalf. And we also thank you, Jesus, because you have not left us by ourselves. But you have left us with your word. So that we may know and understand what it means to live as a Christian. So that we may understand and know what your promises are. We thank you also for giving us a family. For giving us brothers and sisters who also are citizens of heaven that we can look to for encouragement, for support, and even as godly examples. Lord, we pray and ask that you may help us to be godly examples to those around us. 
Lord, and give us an eyes to see the wondrous work that you have done and continue to do in, a lot, in, in, in one another's lives and see those things that are worthy of imitation and that you may be gracious and kind to help us to imitate those things that we see in others that we may not necessarily have. Help us to be more like yourself until the day that we truly become like you when we behold you face to face. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God. Uh, church, let's, let's stand. Um, let's uh, continue in worship um, in our last song. Um, let's sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace.
today, Lord. God, I, I pray that you may just help us, Lord, to stand firm in the gospel, Lord, as we, as we look to imitate those worthy of imitation, uh, Lord, as, 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 as what was preached today, Lord, as we, as we hold a heavenly mindset and as we wait for our Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, to complete our transformation uh, in our salvation, Lord. God, we look forward uh, to your coming. We look forward, Father, to our relationship with you as well. So help us, Lord, uh, to seek you in all things and to stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, and along with that church, uh, I want to leave you with a benediction today um, out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. This is Paul speaking to the uh, church of Corinth. Um, it says, do you, do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wrath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Um, may that be encouragement to you, church. Um, God bless you. But before you leave, uh, please uh, join us downstairs for, uh, to celebrate Laurel um, in, in, this, in this journey. Uh, so please do that with us. You're dismissed. God bless you. Mm -hmm.